0: Let's pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading is from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the squares she raises her voice. At the busiest corner she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof. I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded, and because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you When panic strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. For waywardness kills the simple, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread of disaster. The word of the Lord.
1: New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. He then asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So thank you, Rick, for uh, reading our Old Testament reading from Proverbs. I think I want you to keep those words uh, from Proverbs in your mind, uh, especially that first part that addresses wisdom uh, as, a, as a female. Uh, wisdom cries out in the street, in the square. She raises her voice. And so you have to think about uh, in those ancient days in the, in the villages and the small towns, uh, that's where everybody was during the day. Everybody was out uh, in the village, through the squares and through the gates and through the town, so wisdom is there uh, where everybody else is. So wisdom cries out in the street, in the square, she raises her voice at the busiest corner, she cries out, at the interest of the city gate, she speaks, "How long, O foolish ones, will you love being foolish? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, And fools will hate knowledge." Wisdom and folly, those are really two words we don't use much anymore, but maybe we should. I think it's a very good description of where we are today. The writers of Proverbs remind us that God's word for the Hebrews was wisdom, and wisdom is personified here as a virtuous woman who called to the citizens passing by to listen to her. And folly, well, folly or foolishness was the voice of the world, a voice that is not centered in the wisdom of God's truth that we find in Scripture. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm always just totally amazed at how things change in the world and how some things remain the same. Even always, all the way back to that day of wisdom, standing on the street corner, calling out to the people of Israel. With access to all the information that we now have, there are all sorts of wisdom that we can tap into. There's news commentators and celebrities all around us in our TVs, our cell phones, our computers, our tablets, and they all give us great access to all the wisdom we can handle. I mean, this is the age of information, or at least that's what social scientists call it. Surely, by now, we should be able to differentiate between what is wisdom and what is folly. But I guess it's not as easy as it sounds, because I certainly hear and see a lot of foolishness these days. In our New Testament reading today, we get the picture of Jesus and his disciples in a teaching moment, in a glimpse into discerning wisdom from folly. We get to see this kind of up close and personal. Now, in Mark's fast-paced narrative of Jesus' life and ministry, the disciples have just witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. 5,000 people fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they have witnessed the restoration of sight and sound to a blind and deaf man Lib told us that story a couple weeks ago. Those events, even today, would qualify as a miracle. They're both amazing and powerful action that the disciples witnessed and were a part of. Yet here they are struggling to identify who Jesus is. These people who have been with Jesus from the beginning, who have listened to his teachings who know the Hebrew scripture themselves because of their faith Jewish faith and background that they have been brought up in yet they struggle they struggle to understand who Jesus is so Jesus sensing this asked them a simple question who do people say that I am and the disciples give sort of a shotgun answer they they kind of think, well, if we name everybody we know that's important, we might at least be close. So they say, well, some John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others the prophets. Of course, the people see Jesus as a good teacher, a friendly prophet, a medicine man, a healer. They identify with, with the human Jesus. They only see Jesus for what he can do for them. They chase after the folly of the world, and they don't stop to think about the wisdom that they might hear. Then Jesus turns the question on the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter properly identifies him as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the divine Jesus, the one whom the scriptures of their faith had promised them would come. But then, as any good teacher would do, Jesus pushes the question a bit farther. He began to teach them about the suffering that the Son of Man and his rejection and death and resurrection. Again, all of this is written in the scriptures that the disciples would have known about and understand. But they don't want to have any of this. You see, they had bought into the folly of the world. The world was telling them that the Messiah would come and save them from their Roman oppressors. Not only that, but the Messiah would be a great warrior king. And he would put them, the disciples, in charge. He would make them great. Possibly make them wealthy. And then they would be the ones lording over everyone else. And possibly the world. Wisdom. Or folly. Now, Jesus knew that is what Pete, what was in Peter's head when Peter pulled him aside and said, "Hey, tone down this suffering stuff. Nobody wants to hear about that." But Jesus quickly responds and pushes back with a sharp rebuke. "Get behind me, Satan!" He says. Now that seems like a really strong uh, language in the Bible and a strong rebuke. But I think what's important is how Jesus explains it. He says, For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. How did Peter, who had been at Jesus' side since the beginning, who had personally witnessed these miracles and divine teachings of Jesus, and I have to believe that just kind of being in Jesus' physical presence was life-changing enough, but Peter he missed it. he was saying and believing the things of the world the pathway of folly the voice of his friends who said things like oh yeah jesus is really a nice guy he's a good teacher you know but he was just lucky when those miracles happened they were just the right atmospheric conditions that happened and those things happened he was just lucky that's our dilemma as well where we stand on who Jesus is and what Jesus means to us. In this Bible, we have all that we need to know about who Jesus is. It is our witness to who Jesus is. It's God's wisdom. Or is it just some textbook to be studied Something to be prodded and poked at. To be leafed through a couple of times a year when we face some kind of crisis and then we just put it back on the shelf to gather dust. Or is it God's word to us? Something life transforming? Is it an instrument to discern wisdom from folly? I want us to just to stop for a moment and kind of take stock for where we physically are right now. We're in worship together. Whether you're here in this sanctuary or joining us on the live stream, we're worshiping together. Now, many of your friends, even your own family members, made a different choice this morning. I'm sure many of my friends back in Arkansas uh, made a different choice this morning after beating Texas very soundly last night. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful fall day in the low country, but we've made a choice. We've decided to spend this hour in worship. We've confessed our sins before God. We've heard God's word read and proclaimed. So good for us, right? Good for us. But what happens next? What happens as we depart this worship time together? When we step out of the stream of God's redeeming waters and enter the world of folly again. You know, it's easy to embrace the wisdom of who Jesus Christ is for us here in the safe confines of our church family. But who is Jesus Christ to us after 12 noon central time on Sunday? You know, a test might be how we might answer that question. Who do you say that I am? What does it mean when we say Jesus is Lord? Not just on Sunday morning, but every day of the week, every hour of the day. What does it mean for us to call Jesus our Savior? What does it mean for us to call Jesus the Son of God? What does it mean to call Jesus the Messiah? Now, Jesus tells Peter that he's getting it all wrong. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And of course he is. Peter, like all of us, is looking at life and looking at Jesus from the human perspective. He's a human being, after all. A first-century Jew raised in the traditions of the Jewish faith. How else can he look at the world? How else can he understand who Jesus is and understand Jesus from the human perspective? You and I, we bring that same humanity to our relationship with Jesus as well. We see him as one who will support our human wants and desires. We see him as one who will sustain our values, and we want those values held up. We see him as one who will enable us to become who we want to become. But Jesus' word to Peter suggests that we should gain another perspective, that we should set our mind on divine things the wisdom of a grace-filled God who created us. In our relationship with Jesus, there is the promise and the hope that somehow that divine perspective on who we are and what we are about breaks through. In Christ, God enables us to find a way that is different from the ways of the world, enables us to discern how life is to be fulfilled the way God intended it to be enabling us to live by values that are not embodied by the world in folly, but invited, but invited in us by the living word, God's wisdom. A voice that has never left us. It is always there if we just will listen. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, my favorite uh, theologian, uh, was a German Lutheran theologian during World War II, Uh, He was caught up in the assassination attempt of Hitler, and he was put in prison and was to be executed. And just a a few weeks before his execution, he was able to correspond with his friends, and he wrote this in a letter uh, to one of his closest friends. He said, I discovered later, and I'm still discovering right up to this moment, that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, and failures. In so doing, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not our own suffering, but those of God and the world. That, I think, is faith. For me, what Bonhoeffer was suggesting was that our religion, our faith, was not something to keep to ourselves. We're not to wall ourselves up in our church or in our own faith, but we're to go out and live our faith in the world. Make it visible. The true mark of our faith in Jesus Christ is expressed out there in the world. It is something that is deeply a part of who we are as Christians. Yes, we are to worship God and study God's world through the Bible which is our biblical witness of who God has been and who God is today in the world and in us. But it doesn't stop there. Once we have worshipped, once we've been refreshed by God's word, then we go out and embrace the world, not shun it. We share the wisdom of our faith we have learned through worship and engagement with Scripture. We speak the truth and love to those in the world that may not know Jesus or may have a different understanding of who Jesus is, just like the disciples did. Wisdom or folly. God has placed in our hands a guidebook of wisdom. Humankind has created marvelous ways in which we can engage this wisdom. You've heard today from Lib and Dan about Bible studies and Sunday school classes and church programs. You can get to those online online via Zoom, you can look at Scripture on your phone or in your computer. You have all kinds of ways to access God's Word and God's wisdom for your life. You don't have to be theologically trained to do that. That was what the Reformation was all about. Jesus did not train the disciples to be theologians, to lord their superior knowledge over others. He trained them to meet people where they were, at their worship sites and their communities, but also in the marketplaces and the workspaces, to share them w- with them the life-changing power and wisdom of God. Jesus taught the disciples to have discussions about God, who God was to them, and what God's kingdom was all about. He taught them to love their neighbors as they love themselves. The voice of wisdom for us is found in God's Word. If you struggle with discerning wisdom versus folly, or you don't feel like you're really connecting with God's Word at all, come talk to me about it. That's my job, actually. <laughs> so come talk to me. Come talk to Lib. Go talk to Dan, Courtney, any of our staff would be glad to sit and talk to you about that. And don't be embarrassed If Peter and the disciples struggled with figuring this out, I think it's okay for us to struggle with it a little bit, too. We can help you find your way. We can help you find ways to engage God's Word that is just right for you. God's Word to us is is fresh and exciting today as it was a thousand years ago, and it will be a thousand years from now. It is the living Word Engaging God in worship and the study of God's word with your mind and your heart is the difference between choosing to listen to wisdom or to folly. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.